Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Johnny Carson once interviewed Betty Davis and asked if she had any advice for young starlets wanting to get ahead in Hollywood. She suggested take Fountain. Fountain Avenue runs parallel to Santa Monica and Sunset Boulevards in Hollywood and is often used to avoid the heavier traffic. And isn't that what we're all after? A smooth run, no holdups, not only in traffic, but also in life. How do people handle those holdups, the rejections? How do they create a life in the entertainment capital of the world? How do they identify and express their uniqueness in a place where hundreds of thousands are hoping to do the same? Welcome to Take Fountain. Compelling stories from passionate people who've made it, are making it, in Hollywood. Writers, comedians, actors, filmmakers. I'll talk to anyone with a story to tell. Welcome to Take Fountain, a podcast of passionate people working on their dreams. Compelling stories from Hollywood. Your host, Ella James. And welcome to Take Fountain. This is my first time on this platform doing it so we can actually, well, I can I can see my own face, you can see my face, and you can see the beautiful face of my guest today, Marie Johnson. Marie, thank you so much. <laughs> Disclaimer, Marie is a friend of mine. Um, she's such a star and uh, and I wanted her to be the first on, on this platform. So welcome, my darling. Are you well? I'm so happy to be your first and I'm well. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Maria is coming to us all the way from the East Coast. I'm on the West Coast of uh, of the United States. Mm-hmm. And uh, I suppose we should start. Are you in New York at the moment or are you outside New I'm York? I'm on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Uh-huh. Fantastic. Very nice. What's it like in New York at the moment, considering all the lockdown restrictions and goodness knows what? Have you got those? Because we've got them. Yes. we t- Today, Cuomo just brought in that where um, indoor dining has gone. So... Right. I haven't got the details, so I can't give you the, you know, this. No, that's okay. That's okay. What's it been? What's it been like since February, March for you? What's the whole experience been? Last year, I mean, oh, a roller coaster, you know, and one epic roller coaster, you know, uh, from the shutdown back in March and Broadway shutting down, and then you know, a few days later, discovering that I had COVID, and my family all got COVID. So, yeah, yeah, but it, it, it was fine. At the time it was bizarre because, it, you know, it was like, no, we, we haven't got the, we haven't, this is not it, is it? This is it. You know, we had the classic symptoms, the, the temperatures, the, the, the body aches and pains and the, the massive headache with it. But it, it went through us very quickly and in a couple of days. So within a, the week we were fine. Um, but it was an interesting, and we couldn't get tested at the time, so it was very chaotic in the city in the sense of the hospitals, the chaos. We were all shut away in our homes, I guess, um, you know, just trying to make sense of it all. And, you know, coming through that and then summer, things lifted um, and now I feel like, you know, it's surround, now it's all over America, so dealing with that and, you know, but I don't know. What do you do? <laughs> you just have to just have to just get on with it. I mean, we've got uh, in LA. We had um, uh, thirty-three thousand cases the other 
a day in California. Wow. And then we had 8,000 cases in LA in one day. Mm-hmm. And then hospital availability dropped to below 15%, which means basically you can't get to a hospital. Um, And so then they said, um, then they said, you know, worst lockdown ever. Um, You are prohibited from leaving your home unless you want to go somewhere. Like it was was really weird. It was like um, uh, restaurants are open for uh, pickup and uh, drive through. Um, Car repairs are open. Um, Nail bars are open. Um, uh, Like it was, it really was like you can't go anywhere unless you really want to go somewhere. So I've just been keeping my head down. And, uh, you know, I hike for a couple of hours every morning Mm -hmm. up on the top. Holland Drive, and um, I was walking with a friend, um, and but we're not in the same household, so the rule is no gatherings. So even though we would walk like ten feet apart, um, we still decided, okay, that's it, and that's oh. so that's my last person-to-person contact. Wow! Like okay. I live alone, and um, and so that was really important to me. So I had to start thinking of ways that I could excite myself, yeah. <laughs> distract yeah. myself, you know. Yeah. And, and everyone has their different way of coping with this and dealing with the logistics of it, you know. So and we all have to respect each other's, you know, situations, you know, and what they choose. No, no, I'm, I'm a judgy bitch. <laughs> You know, when you hear somebody somebody has um, uh, travelled for Thanksgiving or something, yeah, oh. I've I've got an opinion on that. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and, and I, I I do the opinion internally, mm-hmm. but I still have have an opinion on it. You know, yeah. Um, but I I had a telehealth consult with my doctor the other day. This is all going to sound very bizarre to Australians, but I suppose you know they should know what it is that we're experiencing. But I had this telehealth consult, and he said, you know, the one of the things that they're not discussing is that young men are coming out of having COVID sterile. So uh, there's an infertility issue. Yikes! I mean, because it is a respiratory disorder, but then it is a blood and inflammation disorder, and so got a lot of athletes coming out of it with heart disease and kidney disease or blood damage and so on so then we started hearing about erectile dysfunction and um and that's i'm like publicize that make them wear a mask by telling them that wow i just got a call actually too from um my daughter's school the nurse there just contacted us to say our uh, daughter who's one of their athletes there um should probably have an ekg because she had COVID back in March. So she's, you know, now I've got to make that appointment because there's some study that's come out about athletes, especially young ones and inflammation and the heart or something. So yeah, I'm sure she's fine. You know, there's always that part of reality. We think it's, it's over there. (laughs) Exactly. It's over there. It wouldn't be me. I know. But it's not. I mean, I cook for a couple of women who live nearby because uh, they haven't like they haven't left the house, and so some days I think, oh, I'm so bored with my own cooking. I'll cook something for many people, and then I ring them and say, do you want some of whatever it is? Like this was a tuna pasta bake, and I made some stewed pears, you know, for dessert. And um, you know, but still, I'm masked up, gloved up. You know, I wash the plates before I put the meal on them, and and then I glove up before I put them on in the foil, and goodness knows what. Because the last thing I want to do is to be giving it to these. Yeah to these 
women, you know. Right. But as you say, you know, you find you find your own way. Yeah, I hope she's okay. Uh, but God, as you say, yeah, I'm sure she's fine. I mean, that I just be, I'm stay positive until <laughs> you've got to. So let's go. Let's go straight to it then, because um, Marie Johnson is is phantom. <laughs> He's phantom. Has been running for over thirty years. I think this would be thirty-one, right? But Marie has been involved with Phantom both in Australia and on Broadway. You were Christine uh, in Phantom in Melbourne and Sydney, or just Just Sydney? I started out in Melbourne as the understudy slash, you know, became the alternate, and then I took over in Sydney and most of Sydney, and then went on to other things, and then got older and a little wiser, you know, somewhat 25 years later and, you know, I've been living in New York for 20 years and, uh, yeah, and then, you know, came into Phantom kind of full circle now. As Madame Jury. Yes, yes. Yeah. I want to talk about that, but I do want to talk about the love story attached to you still being in New York. Can we talk about that? Sure, sure. It's such a beautiful story. Um so you you twenty odd years ago you you travelled to New York and and thinking about your career and so on and and how how was that all going for you what what happened back then uh, oh I applied for a green card it was um, just before nine eleven a couple of years before about two years before I guess yeah late nine last century the end of last century I love saying that. <laughs> the end of last century I decided I'd just um, throw caution to the wind and see what it would be like to live in America and work here. So I applied for a green card of uh, an alien of extraordinary ability. Um, so while the paperwork... Melania, darling. We've all got it right. <laughs> oh, dear. And uh, so I, that came... Well, the paper, you know, it takes some time, year and something. And uh, I met... My husband in the process, which I didn't know at the time was going to be my husband, but we dated and, you know, one thing led to another and now 20 years later we're here on the Upper West Side and two teenaged girls and I'm doing my thing and he's doing, he's an entertainment attorney. So, you know, we've both been hit somewhat by the industry um, in different ways, obviously, but, uh, yeah. So that's the love story. Yes, we met in a bar. I love the love story. I love the love story. Tell me, what was it? How did it happen that you found out that um, that Phantom was shutting down initially? Was it for a certain period of time, or did they just say, "Right, that's it"? What happened? It was well. We on Broadway, uh, Phantom does a Thursday matinee, which is a little unusual, and the twelfth was a, a Thursday. So I was heading into the show to do the matinee on that Thursday and things were starting, like restaurants were starting to close down. They were talking about schools were going to close tomorrow. And I, you know, I just thought, but we're still doing a show? Like what's going on? You know, this seems bizarre and and immoral somewhat that everything else. But as we went into the show and everyone was just kind of, well, we'll just keep going to the show must go on. And uh, during the show, Cuomo had made an announcement and then it started filtering around backstage basically throughout Act 2 that we were not coming back, 
that evening and that we would go going into lockdown for probably two weeks. So we all, at the end of the show, we all met on stage just for a meeting with the producers and company management to talk about the virus and if any, you know, what to do in the next couple of weeks while we were locked down, then we'd come back and we'd just pick up kind of where we left off. That was March 12th, you know, and that's going to be over a year. You know, at the moment we're officially, Broadway's officially shut down till May 31st and then we see what happens. Mm. So it was it was surreal. It was really surreal. It was kind of um, it was just it was very quiet. Everyone was just very not really knowing what to do. It was a it was kind of like a something something kind of ominous was out there, but we just didn't know what it was. We knew it was a virus. It was called COVID. Um, we. Oh, I had a. I remember one of my conversations was with one of my dear dressers who was worried about the virus, and um, uh, and we lost her a few weeks later. To she, yeah, so she didn't make it, and that always haunts me a little bit because I remember the conversation, and uh, she had was compromised. She had a respiratory issue that she was worried about, and the virus, and I we just said, look, one. I was, it's one day at a time. It's good that we're locking down now. We're going into quarantine. Is this will protect us all, you know, not knowing that I probably had it there and then and she had it too, how we got probably signing autographs um, and we passed it around. I, I think maybe about a quarter of the cast have had it, not everyone, which is interesting, you know. I'm so sorry to hear about your dresser. I didn't know that. Yeah, it wasn't my personal dresser, but we all shared, you know, this particular area where Jen Arnold, you know, there's some beautiful article and tribute to her. Um, I think the Washington Post did it a few months later because she was like such, uh, you know, she'd been in the industry forever. She was a grew up. She went to, um, you know, fashion school here and she was, in the, the industry in wardrobe and she was just such a such a force and she didn't make it it was very early on maybe now you know with all the they know so much more about it you know maybe things would be different but yeah yeah that it's so that always uh brings back some difficult times and memories for me. Look, I don't know anybody who hasn't lost someone. Sorry? Or I don't know anybody who hasn't lost someone or knows somebody who's had it. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, amongst my Australian friends, a lot of them have no experience of it. Right. None of them have an experience of it. Yeah. So I find that strange. You, so, you, I mean, whereabouts in Australia are you from? Where's home? Sydney. Okay. Mm -hmm. Grew up there. Were you a singer, dancer, child? Did you go to yeah. Dance Academy at Rockdale as I did? I wish I did. You know, I went to some ballet lessons and apparently the teacher, I don't remember this, my mother told me I was five or something, the teacher yelled at me and I went cowering into my mother's lap and never went back. Oh. Uh, actually, I did a little bit of ballet as a teenager. but. 
got really, I was doing the school musicals and I always got the lead in the school musical, which was a lovely thing. It's a beautiful thing. So trying to do the school musical, and it was a very serious thing at St. Joseph's Girls High School, Cogra, to do the musical. I don't know how, I couldn't fit the ballet classes in. I wish, you know, I had more dance experience. Um, But I still managed to get, you know, make a career out of it (laughs) and always do the sopranos, you know, who only had to dance a little bit. So, you know, I was a good mover, thank God. So, I, you know, worked it out along the way, I guess. Did you ever dream of being on Broadway? No, no, never. Not till I was older. Um, I think I just, uh, it was incremental. I think the, the dreaming of the career was incremental. Like I always wanted to sing and I always wanted to perform, but I was encouraged to get a real job and to, you know, have a not to really pursue the arts, to sing as a hobby maybe and things like that. But as, so I did, I went into education and social welfare and I studied for four years and worked at a family support service in Darlinghurst. It was when I finally had a little bit of financial independence and I was older, I started dabbling with some, you know, singing teachers and I met Bob Tasman Smith. Do you remember Bob Tasman Smith? Back in the day, well, I'd been and I'd been having singing lessons before that, even in high school, um, with some be- Mari Wichelow and Cronulla and uh, Francis Bell in Hurstville, Hurstville. So I did I did the AMEB music examinations board. So I sang classically and did music theory and I did all my exams, but I never told anyone about it because I was a sweet soprano and it just wasn't cool. You know, I went to school then at Sutherland and everyone was at the beach and, and I didn't tell anyone I really sang. That was like Puberty Blues years. Right. Really, and they, yeah, it? so I changed schools. I did the school musical up until year 10 and then for 11 and 12 where I was trying to fit in with a new school near, in Sutherland, I didn't really tell any. I did the school play but there was no musical then. So it was interesting time but, yeah, so... And Bob, Bob, what was your what was your first professional role? Les Miserables was I was uh, a swing and Cosette understudy, and I remember that Bob Tasman Smith, who was teaching me at the time, said, "You know, they're still looking for people in for for Les Miserables. They were doing the cast change. They, the show had opened; it'd been open for a year, and they had some cast changes, so they were still looking for people." And um, Bob said, send them a tape. <laughs> so I sent them a tape, a cassette tape of me. I don't even know what I was singing. And I sent it to uh, John Robbo, John Robertson and James Thane at Cameron Macintosh. And then I got a call. They called me in. And that, the rest is history after that. So... So the person in your family who was keen for you to get a real job, <laughs> do you remember their reaction to you getting a real real job on stage? I think there was a, some disbelief, my mother. There was some disbelief in the beginning, you know, and then I think, hmm, a bit of a reality check and, I, and then there's this slow process of coming to terms with it. And then she was worried about 
me, you know, going into theatre and the and the world of theatre and maybe the, the level, it was a protection thing, you know, she didn't want me then to be disappointed and I guess she then didn't want me to hope for too much and then be disappointed. So she was a very practical woman and in some ways that's protected me because it is yeah, as you know, as we know, well, not as you know, as you know, we all know to be in this industry, you have to be resilient and you have to be ready for the knockbacks. Um, and you have to pick yourself up and dust yourself off and get go to the next, you know, job or next audition. You're listening to Take Fountain with Ella James. I've been walking every morning with a clinical psychologist. He's semi-retired. And uh, and I've continued to audition throughout the pandemic, just using a self-tape and and occasionally having a a neighbour from downstairs come up and stand on the stairs outside the closed window with a mask on, screaming out the line. (laughs) Get out Right, you know, until until I worked out that I could get somebody via Skype on my phone to be next to my camera under the light, like you know, crazy, crazy stuff. But you know, so I would say oh, I've got an audition this afternoon, and the next day he would say, "How did it go?" And I'd say it was really good. And then a week later he'd say, "So did you get it?" And I'd go, "I don't know." And he'd go, "Well, what do you mean? Don't they tell you if you didn't get it?" And I went, "No." <laughs> and he said, "How do you live like that?" So of course, knowing me these nine months, when I've gone, "Oh my God, I've got this audition for this big," and he's gone, "So how did it go?" And I go, "Great. Did you get it?" I don't know. <laughs> and he's how do you live with that? I said, because doing the audition is doing the work. It's part of the work. It's not, it's not the preparation for the real work. It is the work, right? Mm -hmm. As you know. And, um, and the other thing is, how does one define success? If one defines success as only getting the role, then we're always going to be disappointed. That's like a, a doctor saying, unless I'm the world's wow. leading neurosurgeon, I'm not going. We did a woofer. That's my dog, Banjo, for all these Australians. Hello, darling. Hello, Banjo. Um, oh, no, that, now that's enough. Um, banjo. So, but you know what I mean? Like if you only have that define success you're never going to be happy right right exactly oh, sorry just you know tell it's okay you want to show a ball like a long way that was just this is where we shall dance and i will tell you i will tell you about my show unmistakably ella that is now streaming on showcatcher.com um showcatcher <laughs> Talking about myself, you can shush. I'm talking about my show. Oh, good. Understand. Yes, but you couldn't see in LA, but you can see it now because it's streaming on Showcatcher. I know, and I'm going to do that. I've got it on my list. I'm waiting for that moment where I can sit down and just focus and relax and have a glass of wine and watch you. It, uh, it finishes on Boxing Day, which for Americans just is December 26. Um, but I'm hoping to extend it, so that would be nice. But it's a lot about my mother. I mean, like, oh. you know, <laughs> I know. I feel like she, I'm going to watch it and kind of relate to some of that. 
Oh, yeah, because she was, um, you know, I could never, I, as soon as I arrived at a new school, which was a lot, um, we changed a lot of schools, um, it was like, oh, my gosh, we, you have to be in our show, which is how I wound up as uh, Judas in Jesus Christ Superstar, although it was a co-ed school, but I was the one with the deepest voice. <laughs> um, actually, it was it was um, good guy of us. Um, um, and... Um, and then I, I I got asked to be in a lot of other shows, but Mum always said, no, you can't be because I can't interrupt my work to come and pick you up for rehearsals and so on. Um, and my stepfather certainly wasn't going to disrupt his retirement to do that. So not that I'm bitter. Um, <laughs> but... Um, it was actually later in life and my mother uh, had been put into a nursing home and I got um, a, a job doing a, um, a rehearsed reading for a, a thing called Talking to Terrorists. And, um, and it was my, uh, my producer at SBS who said, I'm, I'm doing this play and I want you to have a couple of roles in it. And I said, oh, I'm not an actor. And she said, I think you are. And she was rather trained, like she was the real deal. So I did it. And I just, it was like, oh, this is what breathing feels like. And mum, as she was dying, said, I never should have stood in your way. You should have been doing this your whole life. But hmm. having said that, um, I have no regrets because the things that you learn, like I was a journalist and a voice actor and I ran a legal business and, you know, all of those things you learn from that then inform your acting anyway. But the fact that, I mean, would I have loved to have gone to like a performing arts high school or to, uh, to study drama at a tertiary level or do, you know, dancing and singing? Oh, God, I mean, can you imagine? <laughs> I know. But this it's his life. But there weren't that not? many opportunities, really, too, when you think about schools and, uh, and studying acting or s singing back in the last century in Australia. There's there was neither. so many more options. Yeah, but that was kind of it. <laughs> that was it. And they would never take you straight from school. No. Like they yeah. insisted that you had some kind of life. Mm. Yeah. So um, it's, you know, here in America there's so many more opportunities for that. You know, mm. doing you know, that as I have, yeah. Mm. I mean, I have I have dialect coaches. I have um I have an audition coach. Um, I have an acting coach. Uh, you know, there's there are all of these people um, that that stand with you. I mean, you were saying to me you had a singing lesson today. Yeah. Um, yeah. Of course, one of Australia and and Broadway's finest sopranos is going to have a singing teacher. <laughs> Because, you know, this just doesn't happen. Well, and there's four of us in the class, which is great. You know, we actually, it's like a group therapy singing class because we're all around the same level of experience and we all feed off each other. And, you know, I don't, I don't, I, I don't feel I need the extensive lessons that I used to have. You know, I'm, I'm much more, uh, I guess experienced and, and you, I know my voice more now that I'm older and wiser. <laughs> but it's really good to be held accountable and to check in with a few things about your technique. You know, you always have to, you know, refresh things and reinvent yourself. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I think during the pandemic, I've been studying uh, meditation uh, with Locke Kelly and Eckhart Tolle, mm. and. 
one of the things that drives their lessons, particularly with Locke, is curiosity. And and I think uh, I, I see around me in my cohort a lack of curiosity, like a belief of I've, res- I've, I've got to this level, this is what I know, this is all I need to know. Not to be unkind, they're, they're doing fabulously well, mm-hmm. but I feel like a, I feel like a teenager. Um, I mean, also because I started this late, but also I just I want to keep learning. Mm-hmm. Um, and and also, do you find the older you get, the more it doesn't bother you that you don't know stuff? Like being vulnerable and admitting that you don't know things is okay. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when, you, when you're younger, I think there's that what do they call it? Imposter syndrome, where you think, oh my god, if people discover what I really don't know, I'm going to be dead in the water, right. kind of thing. Right. Yes. Yeah. There's still a lot of that I think about performing, though. Too. I think it, yeah. you know, some of us are. It depends. At times, I'm deeply insecure, and then other times, you know, I'm not. So it it, oh, yeah. it does shift. But yes, I get, I get so nervous. Mm. And, um, oh no! Still, to find out. But, yeah, yeah, and just that that um, that breathing that I have to do just to center myself. Right. Um, um, and I find when I'm performing, my legs physically shake. And it's not a question of me thinking. I wonder if people can see that. When I was when I was doing the show live for the seventeen weeks, even you know, in in um, week sixteen, week fifteen, week seventeen, I'd still be there, and the people in the front row would be like, "Oh, look, Daphne, her legs are shaking." Oh, no. <laughs> I was going to say that. So even after you know seventeen shows, you still had a level of. Uh, anxiety there with it, or the um, the show is about forty percent improv, and um, and relies on the audience. And um, I mean, I don't want to give too much away, but I wheel my dead mother onto the stage as a mannequin's dummy. And there were there were some nights where she slid across and stole my light and would not go back. And there were other nights. Uh, no amount of WD-40 would fix this. And there were other nights where she wouldn't come into the light at all. Wow. And, and it was like this voice in my head saying, it's yours now. Because she used to love it. She, I mean, you'll see the show, but she was a huge part of my life because she wanted to be a huge part of my life. And um, and she she liked the light. Right. And she liked the 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 me that I that I glowed um and she liked to be a part of that and and felt that she was she would say I mean you know she would say she's everything she is because of what I taught her you'll know <laughs> and her, except you can't sing and you can't dance you know <laughs> apart from that absolutely wow um, shock. were you in dance lessons from a young age oh yeah until she stopped them so I was with Miss Smith's Dance Academy in Rockdale with Rhonda Birchmore. Um, yeah, I did. Uh, I did classical ballet. So I studied. Um, I studied the Royal Academy of Dance, and I um, I did character and I did jazz. And then I picked up jazz uh, as an adult when I finished school. Mm-hmm. I picked up jazz with Core Direct uh, at a studio in the city, and he said to me, "Oh, you know, they're they're casting." Um, Rocky Horror, you should be, you should go and audition as Magenta. 
Uh, but I couldn't because I was working in my mum's business and she used to make it progressively harder for me to leave at the end of the day so I would miss the window to attend class. Right. I mean, I'd love to say she wasn't a nasty person because she wasn't a nasty person, but she she did do things like that. And then later I had singing lessons with Greg and now it's going to, I hate this. He was with the Australian Institute of Music. Greg Kreese? No. Yes, thank you, God. Greg Cruz. Me out of because uh, I'm a belter. I'm nothing like you. I was a um, alto, um, you know, in the choir at school. But um, yeah, I'm a belter, so I do all the old stage tunes. I'm a bit of an Elaine Stritch kind of. Wow. And that's my my dream is to is to put um, um, uh, I'm here in my show. Right. I'm still here. But as it was, I did put a song in my show, um, which is a swear word. It's everybody's but me. Uh, and um, uh, and the, writer, the writer of the song has since passed away, but I had friends of his, uh, Pato Smith and his late wife, VR, she just died a month ago. Uh, they came to the show and said, oh, you would have been so happy that you were singing this song. And I did it a cappella and I just dropped it in a few weeks towards the end because I was I wanted to try things out because I wanted to tour the show to London and New York and Sydney so it's really good that I I shot I shot this uh, version um really just for uh, publicity purposes and for my own record that I employed a crew to come and shoot it and then uh, of course it's the only record that I have um and thank god showcatcher have said that it's okay to go up on their site even though it's not their quality you know, because they've got shows by David Tennant and Miriam Margulies and Simon Callow and Ella James. It's like, whoa. That's so. great. I have to check out. I, I found their website really interesting too. So I was like, oh, what else is there? I just, you know, yeah. at the moment, even though I'm not doing eight shows a week, it's just finding the time sometimes to. It just gets filled up. And look at me. Oh, that's enough about me. Let's talk about you. What do you think of me? Um, that's the, the other thing. I love the other thing. <laughs> I love you too. You know, the other thing is you think you've got all this time. Yeah. And I get at five to go hiking and I'm home by eight. Um, and then I do some floor stuff because I'm old and creaky and I've got to stretch things before and after and, and so on. Uh, but it's there's just suddenly it's five o'clock. Right. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And I don't know how you do it with, with three people and, and banjo relying on you. Well, you know, they don't quite rely on me as much as they used to, but I still am, it, it, they still do rely on me. They just don't know it, <laughs> I guess. What am I saying? I guess they will eat, they will eat rubbish if I don't. It's cooking. I'm a cook at the moment. I'm a big cook because they're home from school and they will happily just, you know, scrounge around and eat rubbish. So I find myself cooking and shopping way more. And because we can't, you know, we're following the protocols of everything, it's just not that easy to go out for dinner. And same, even ordering in, you know, I really fail for these. It's that catch-22. You want to support the industry, people delivering the food. But at the moment, some of these delivery people are really getting screwed um, because of all these apps and delivery. There's, there's nothing out there to help them. And it's winter. And in Australia as well. Yeah. You know, it's calling in this big economy. 
doesn't support people. Yeah. And in Australia, largely their students are new to Australia and, and there's just no union involvement. Um, and, yeah. But uh, anyway, you should go and cook now. This has been absolutely wonderful. We could talk for hours. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show. Go and let Banjo out of the cupboard. <laughs> no, he's, he's out now. He's good. <laughs> I'm in the bedroom. <laughs> okay, my love. Well, you look fantastic and it's lovely to see you and speak to you and thank you for being on Take Fountain. My pleasure. Can't wait to see you on stage again. You Bye. too. Okay. Bye-bye, darling. You've been listening to Take Fountain with Ella James. For more, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. You can subscribe to the podcast at your favourite podcasting app. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.